0: to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fulick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick,
1: and welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID resilience, crisis management, anything that is related, relatable to those topics, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, prepare, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free to reach out. I can be found very easily on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find. Or on Voice America, you can go to the homepage for the show. There is a button underneath the graphic that allows allow you to send me an email, and I respond to everything I get. Longtime listeners and viewers now, You'll know that I spoke at the 2020 BCI Virtual World Conference. And at the time, I said that uh, it would be nice if I could get some of the other speakers from the conference to come on the show and talk about uh, some of uh, what they spoke about there or share some other insights and uh, their expertise with us. Today is one of those days. I would like to welcome to the show, Lynn Hobala. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you. And did I say your name right, Hobala. Yeah, that's correct,
2: Alex.
1: Oh, good. I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get it first try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, you were presenting at the BCI Virtual World Conference, and we've got listeners and viewers uh, literally around the globe. Could you take a minute or two and tell us about yourself, what you do, and how you got into the industry?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Leah uh, as you mentioned. Um, I've been in the industry, oil and gas industry, for the past 15 years. I, I worked, I'm working as a safety professional and for the past a few years started off the business continuity uh, subject and I was the BC manager in the organization. Um, I had the opportunity to present at the uh, Business Continuity Institute uh, chapter in the UAE then invited to the World Conference, which was a really very interactive uh, conference, and there was a lot of engage- engagement from the audience.
1: Well, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could uh, share some of your time with us today. And we've got a couple of things we're going to talk about. And uh, our first one is something that I've, I've seen oh, talked about for so long, and different people have different uh, perceptions and ideas about it. And that's embedding business continuity into organizations. How do you define embedding? What is that to you?
2: It's all about integration. So it's how we integrate business continuity practices and procedures into the organization day-to-day activities. So in uh, to maintain a business as usual. So as a, I will talk about a business continuity professional. So if you got this role, uh, it's a new role to you. It's very important to take like the first few weeks, a month, okay, once you start this new role, to understand the company existing processes and procedures and to build the relationship with these functions or the departments, because you need to know how to actually integrate the BC elements in what they do. This can be part of their procedures. This can be part of their meetings. Um, so they might uh, start to consider business continuity elements in uh, identifying the resources or whenever they are dealing with vendors. So in the service level agreement, they will have a clause on business continuity. Or if not in the agreement, then in their procedures, they will have a plan B or an alternate vendors in case a disruption happened to vendor A, then they will go with vendor B. But all this consideration should be embedded are integrated in the existing uh, procedures and processes that every function is doing. And it's very important whenever working with all this function to work closely with the quality assurance and make sure that business continuity is integrated in the existing audit plan or assurance checklist. Um, and uh, or, so in conclusion to this, I think that business continuity should not be seen as a standalone process. It should be an important component of how we do our business, basically.
1: But how do you go about embedding? Because uh, let's say I'm a director of finance and you're the business continuity representative and you come up, we need to embed BCP in what you do. First thing out of my mind is I'm full. I've got enough to do. I can't take on more stuff. So how do you go about um, one convincing people that business continuity is important enough to be a part of what they need to do, and maintaining that. You know what? How do you decide what needs to be in these different uh, areas? You know what part of BCP needs to be embedded? How do you go about that whole that whole process?
2: A very good question. Uh, I'm sure every BC professional has faced uh, similar uh, challenges. Yep. How to convince people? How to get their buy-in? Basically. Uh, the key word is awareness, awareness, awareness. So people tend to um, avoid, um, like, uh, giving support to business continuity, uh, because uh, either they don't know the benefits of embedding business continuity into their processes, or uh, because of uh, you don't know something, you fear it. So you think this is kind of it's gonna backfire at you. Because it's going to delay your work, it will have an impact on your schedule, and so on. So it's very important to ensure a successful embedding is to have a proper awareness program. And this should be across the organization. And it should be multiple awareness sessions. And each session should be tailored, targeting certain groups. And um, we're all familiar with the organizational structure pyramid. So you have the pyramid that starts from the top with your senior management, then you have the managerial or the head of department Mm -hmm. roles, and then you go to your employees. So this training uh, or awareness session should be tailored to target all these levels. Separate, for senior management, you should have a separate discussion. And this is, I'm talking from my experience, how I started an embedded business continuity in our business. So we start discussion with the senior management. Um, And here, as a VC professional, you should be able to convince the senior management of the importance of embedding and provide them with a study of the return on investment. So how an investment in resources, or maybe you go for a software, we know nowadays there are a lot of softwares for the business impact analysis. So there's an investment on that, investment of man hours spent on the business continuity embedding, okay? Versus how are the benefits of a fast recovery? Um, How a business continuity became a prerequisite for many of our clients will not be accepted to, uh be part of the tender unless we present a good a business continuity program so it starts to become the focus of our um client or we can say the focus of attention our key clients. so this discussion should be done by uh with our senior management and i say it, this is, is that a the starting point
1: is that the, the starting point? point start with executives first and then
2: yes absolutely <clears throat> absolutely start from the top in the pyramid with the uh, starting work with our senior management, convince them, after they are convinced, then you get your commitment. Once you have their commitment, we need to ensure you have your VC policy and your business continuity policy is very important. This is the anyway, requirement of the ISO 2001 standard. And uh, once this is done, then I think you can start with that second layer, which is addressing the head of the department or the people managerial position. And here is a very important part, I would say. We need to shift the responsibility from the business continuity professional because his or her role is only advisory and provides support. The professional is a subject matter expert, but the business continuity should be owned by every function and department. So as a business continuity professional, you should work with this department to identify champions. We call them business continuity champions. And these champions, they will basically drive the implementation and embedding in their existing processes. Because they understand their business and they understand their uh, functional services and activities more than the VC professional. So they would be the ambassador of the business continuity at their end.
1: How do you get them on board, you know, business continuity champion, when, I'll use myself as the example again, the director of finance, I don't know what business mm-hmm. continuity is, how can I be a champion of something I don't even know?
2: Absolutely. That's why I said it's very important to get the senior management commitment. So once you have the BC policy communicated, and there's commitment from the senior management, then... Uh, all the HODs and the people from Nigeria position, they, they will give you the buy-in, or they will be ready to give the buy-in, but not yet 100%. Because as we mentioned, they don't know what's business continuity yet. So they still fear it, or there is no much interest. So here we need to arrange for an awareness session. So this awareness session should be more detailed. I recommend to have, to start with a workshop. A workshop, like for a few hours, who's all the head of the department and uh, and speak to them about business continuity, the importance, and take them throughout the full processes and the professional practices of the business continuity institute, the six professional practices, and at the end, provide them the benefits for their function and the benefits for the company. So I'm sure, following the workshop, everybody will have the buy-in because They know this will be beneficial for them and will ensure a swift recovery and resumption of the processes. As as a result, they will be able to meet their schedule, deadlines, and so on. Um, I'm sure following these sessions, a lot of HODs will still need support, and here, uh, or the VC chapters, and here one to one sessions can be arranged. You might need to do more than one to one sessions. I have some of the uh, head of the department that you mentioned finance or you mentioned HR. So they might contact and they say we need further support. And here it's very important as a VC professional, you should be flexible and you should collaborate and you should be flexible with timing because you basically you need their buy-in. So you need to adjust your uh, schedule or your agenda uh, based on their timing and
1: wish um, the- to speak to Stephanie. And one question those who feel, <clears throat> uh, you, again, I'll use myself, you know, leading finance, what would you say to those leaders after you've had these information sessions, you know, you've, you've talked with senior management who might turn around and say, you know, you're just offloading more work to me. Why aren't you're the, you're the BCP person, Lynn, why aren't you doing this? You know, how do you, what kind of things would you tell these people, or or make them become aware of, so that my thinking would change, so I can become a champion? How do you what, what do you say to convince them?
2: Absolutely. So I think that a key word, and here for as in every VC champion would like to see the benefits, how this can have a positive impact on their function. So like we spoke. Uh, in the workshop, we should show them how this will help you to resume your operation faster following the disruption so how this will have minimum impact on your resources as well as minimum impact on your services um, and so once you present to them the benefits, they will definitely be convinced and this is from my experience I got the buy in on that so they need to see a study it is not like just people them and to give them example relevant through their uh,
1: services
2: basically. well that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah but one Alex, one point to highlight i had from experience like you said they say i'm very busy i can't do that now so i'm gonna delegate it to my subordinate mm-hmm. okay but it's very important here to have someone in as a decision maker to be the decision champion because all about taking decisions to ensure embedding and to, to take the business continuity to the second level. Um, so here, this is the challenge uh, to sit with the HRD and convince that this um, role requires someone with experience so they can understand the existing services. It can be done by someone new to the function. They don't know about the processes, the services, so it will be difficult for them to implement. Uh, you bring um, up an in- uh, I had these yeah. discussions to be
1: honest. You bring up an interesting point. If uh, a director, a, a champion, I should say, sorry, a champion uh, does delegate, would that not help embed and spread the awareness? as long as the decision making is still done by the champion, they can delegate the work to somebody else. Would that not help embed BCN? It will. It
2: will absolutely. Um, I say this is on the second level, once you have built the, somehow the culture, okay, of the business continuity in the organization, then I think that the dedication can happen. But also at this stage, at the initial stage, if the HRU would like, head of department would like to do dedication, they can, but they need to ensure they selected the right person. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to embed because you need someone that is a decision maker that can understand the existing processes and the uh, existing procedure of the function. So if they say the right person, that's fine at this stage.
1: Are there any groups that uh, you should most definitely approach? Are there any groups who you don't need to approach about embedding business continuity? or should everybody be involved? Because I've always looked at IT as, you know, IT tends to focus on the IT disaster recovery, you know, of course, of servers, mainframes, applications, et cetera, but they're not impervious to not being able to get to the office because of a highway being closed, you know, catching the flu, you know, there are still people issues and access to facility issues and things like that. So who should you approach? And is there anybody you don't need to approach?
2: To build the business continuity culture, to become an integral part of the way we do our business, everybody should be basically aware and we should approach regarding business continuity but on a different scale. So we spoke about senior management, we spoke about the uh, head of department where we select the BC uh, champions and the IT function is one of them and I would like to talk about that uh, in a bit. Mm-hmm. um uh, also the general population all the employees they should be aware about the roles and responsibility in case of the disruption what should be done so that's why the bc policy should be communicated to all the employees and some of these employees um, we know all the process of the business impact analysis uh, so part of the business impact analysis would be identifying your vital personnel and this is another layer of Where you need to provide them with awareness session, and here the awareness session will not be done by the VC professional. It should be done by the champion, the VC champion, because this vital personnel are vital for their function, and then as a result they should cascade the awareness to them. So we have the senior management, the VC champion, the vital personnel, and the general population. So all of them they should be aware with a certain. Of the
1: responsibilities. You 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 mentioned uh, another interesting point there with uh, business impact analysis and things like that. So when do you start embedding business continuity? Is it after you've done an initial BIA risk assessment, you've developed a contingency plan, you've got a crisis management team structure in place, you know all these other different pieces, uh, evacuation? Then start embedding, or do you start embedding immediately after you? Have spoken with um, um, with the executive team. You know when when is the actual starting point? Because it, it I, I don't want to assume that an organization has no program because they may have had some sort of a program for many years. It's just never been embedded. So where where is the actual starting point?
2: Okay, if I recall from the BCI uh, uh, like best practice. Uh, uh, embedding was the second professional practice so it's you're following the steps the second one Um, however yes ideally it should start before you do the day when you go into the business analysis because you need the buy-in you need them to support and so on like we said the workshop the awareness session the communication and so on to get the ball rolling but embedding is throughout all practices so I think it should be always there is a refresher. When you're doing your stress testing later on for the uh, business uh, continuity, plans, uh, this is a, there is an element of embedding them because you are giving them a refresher of the roles and responsibilities. When you're doing verification and uh, all these reviews as well will have an element of embedding. So I think embedding it is through how the life cycle of the business continuity uh, uh, program. Uh, and this is very important. It's not like we've done the awareness session, we're done. No, there's always the pressure. And, and keep in mind, people change as well. And especially with the pandemic, a lot of people uh, change roles and so on. So, definitely here we need to have refresher sessions like that. Uh, and this is throughout the life cycle. So you, you brought
1: up another interesting point people change. So, if oh, using myself again, director of finance, you know, I understand what you're saying and what you want to do, and I've got people in my area working, and then I go off somewhere else to a different role, either internally or externally. Where, How, how does that embedding carry, carry over to the new person, you know, who replaces yes. me? Because it was embedded with me, but now I'm out the door. It's a
2: good question, Alex, and I faced that and I'll share from my experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends how mature in the VC uh, culture in the organization. Is it within the person, the VC champion, it's still at this stage, or it's already integrated in the existing processes and procedure of the function? So if the person will change, then it shouldn't be an issue because everything is a part of the process and procedure. But you're still in the stage of, developing and uh, like working on the BIAs of the function and working on the embedding and so on, the person change, then I think you go to almost to square zero. You need to go back and do the education for the new person. And so, on. Um, so yeah, uh, with the pandemic, we have changes here and there. At some location, it was like very smooth because it was fully embedded. For a small office, I had to reset with the new person and then have to take it from um, the first half explaining about the policy, about the overall program, and uh, uh, about what's the expectation from this person being the BC champion. And so, so, yeah, depends how the business continuity culture is mature. This is, what I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. So, who owns business continuity if it's embedded in all these different areas and you have all these champions and people? Um, uh, delegated to perform certain tasks and things like that, roles and responsibilities, who actually should own business continuity then if the business continuity person uh, yourself is the steward uh, as, as you would say for the whole process? Um,
2: definitely it should be every department and function they own, it. okay? And if uh, I say senior management, I say finance, finance department, IT, uh, and safety department, risk department, every department they own it because they own their own BIA. And they need to maintain it and keep it up to date. And the BC professional is there to ensure collaboration and coordination to get things together. But actually every function owns it and should ensure it's maintained and implemented. And here, I would say you touched on um, disaster recovery for the IT. I think for some uh, organization, they see business continuity is with one function, maybe with the business continuity function, or they see it with uh, the risk management, or with the IT function. But it's no, it's a collaboration between all these functions to make it happen, to build this culture. And there is a lot of uh, collaboration should happen between the business continuity professional and the IT function to develop a proper disaster recovery. So, from the BIAs, all that critical applications should be given to the IT function, and based on this critical application, they can prepare their disaster recovery. So yes, they rely on the information given by the BC professional. And the VC professional will act as a, uh, a mediator between IT function and the rest of the business. If they have any question about this application, you can go back and speak to the department and clear this between IT. So definitely the VC professional should play a good role in helping IT function to prepare their disaster, which is eventually for the whole company.
1: Yeah. you You got me thinking about something else. With embedding uh, BCM, what are your thoughts with program management offices, who have, uh, you know, manage all these different programs and projects that are changing applications, you um, developing new systems and services that are impacting contingency plans and BIAS and other different aspects. Is there any way of leveraging that group to proactively identify upcoming changes to BIAs and contingency plans? Because it would seem if you've implemented something, I'll just say January 1st, and all these changes happened, and then BCM or the BCM champion, whoever it is, six months to a year later comes along and says, okay, what's changed? You know, it, it kind of looks as, wait a minute, we. Why are you so far behind the you know behind things? We changed a year ago. So is there any way of leveraging uh, a PMO office to help embed?
2: Yeah, definitely, Alex. And depending on the organization and the scale of the organization, either you have the PMO to help, or you will have this part of the existing processes. Uh, in a sense, it's the VC profession will maintain the schedule to make sure minimum to review the BIA processes once a year. But in case of major changes, then this will be done. So the VC professional will be uh, basically engaged in management meetings and uh, notified of any major changes in the organization services as a board. Mm-hmm. But I would say the VC champion will play a good role here because they know what changes happen with them. So, how to capture this? I like I mentioned, the assurance scheduling or program should have the VC elements ca- captured there and should ensure verification. So they will ensure at least once a year is done, and um, also in case of any major change, they should. Do as a
1: okay, we we have a couple minutes. Uh, I know we're over our a lot of time, but, do you want to, and we have another subject we're going to touch on, but do you have want to take a last minute or two with any final thoughts on embedding business continuity? Anything yeah. you may not have touched on?
2: Basically, I just want to reemphasize on the point. So embedding is never, never try to create a new process and system for business continuity. So it has to be not seen as a standalone process because it will not a progress or it will be forgotten at some point. It has to be embedded or integrated in existing processes. So we're talking about the risk matrix, about meetings. So try not to have a separate steering committee for business continuity. Try to have business continuity subject or elements captured in the existing management of your meetings. So and this way, it will be integrated.
1: Thank you. Well, great. Thank you very much. We've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Lynn Hobala today, and we were talking about embedding business continuity into the organization. We'll be right back, and we're going to be talking about leadership support and communications during disasters. We'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune in to Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stoned-road.com. Again, that's INFO at stoned-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Lynn Hobala. And we in our first segment, we were talking about embedding business continuity into organizations. And in this segment, we're going to talk about uh, leadership support and communications during disruptions. Lynn, changing gears, how does leadership get involved with communications?
2: I would say um, they are at the heart
1: of the communication.
2: Um, So I'm going to explain about how the uh, the crisis management uh, team or structure is your organization. And mainly this is the most of the oil and gas company the first tier structure. So if you're familiar with the three tier structure, tier one, two, two, three, or operational, tactical and strategic. So for every tier you will have a uh, management team or crisis management team or incident management team. And you will have a leader. And this leader usually would be um, someone from the leadership. So yes, they are at the heart. They are the final decision maker of what communication should go. Um, but uh, definitely, they will consult with the subject matter experts uh, within their this management team, and, and uh, definitely with the uh, communication advisor or the head of
1: communication
2: uh, about how to craft these communications. But yes, they are at the heart of the communication.
1: You, you mentioned craft communications. I'm curious, Are is Cedar, senior leadership the ones who write these, or is it the crisis management team leader, or is it a media spokesperson, or, and lawyers, you can send me the hate mail all you want. Is it the legal team who writes all these, sure. uh, which I don't recommend because they can take forever and write it in a way that nobody understands. So who actually writes the communications?
2: Uh, so, we're talking about the internal communication here. So, when it comes to the internal communication, it will be basically drafted by the communication team, uh, but definitely with the direction from them, which about the time that they are looking for, uh, but definitely to be drafted by the communication team. When it comes to the external communication, definitely here, I think uh, there will be more reviews depending on what communication
0: communication
2: is, but it's not like very much. Um,
1: expertise to in on that. Do, uh, whether it's internal or external, and, and regardless of who is responsible to write the communications, do executives uh, have to review it and approve it first? Do, like, do they get that actively involved? Because you've got your crisis management team in place for a reason with roles and responsibilities. So if you've got your executive team who have to review every single thing you do before, you 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 actually do it. It could actually delay your responses. So should crisis uh, sorry leadership get involved to that level to review everything and you know kind of give the thumbs up? Yes, you can distribute that internally or externally. Do they get involved on that level?
2: I would say uh, yeah, definitely they should because some of this decision will have an impact on the organization involved where the crisis management team is be managing. The disruption or the crisis. Um, so they are on the field managing it. Where the leadership, they will take decisions. For example, let's talk about um, the recent pandemic. We had the COVID nineteen pandemic, where people had to go work from home. So this has been decided during a, the, the incident management discussions. Uh, it was uh, recommended by the crisis management team
0: uh, and uh,
2: based on the. the and this is the best way to do it, we go and go ask other workers to work. But then the final decision maker should be the leader because this is gonna impact the organization, the whole, but basically it might impact the overall business. So, and the product, productivity is the result. So that's why final decision maker will be the leader, but the crisis management team will give advice to be more advisory in for it.
1: When does crisis manage? Uh, not crisis management. Sorry. When does leadership get involved <clears throat> with a crisis? Because organizations, even at your own, you will have um, daily business as usual incidents. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't want to say that all incidents are you know, happen all the time, but you will have things that occur uh, that are logged with your help desk, and you have someone go and investigate and resolves it a couple of hours later or or right away. So under what kind of circumstances do leadership get involved? And when they do get involved, what kind of support should they be giving the crisis management team?
2: Very good question, actually. Um, yeah, so the big question when they get involved. So if we if were in the office and we have a small fire in in the mayor room, it's a very small fire. So do we call for the crisis management team to involve our leaders? Or how it should be done. So uh, there is a threshold uh, where a leadership will be called to get involved in uh, managing the crisis. And every organization should set this threshold based on the risk matrix. So the risk matrix will define it's a major, medium, depends uh, on the severity uh, the scale they have, or minor. And uh, so accordingly, the it will be the trigger for the leadership to get involved. So let's say uh, this incident is classified to be a major threshold, then definitely the leadership should be involved. And uh, for example, for business continuity, uh, they should set a threshold if we had a disruption that may be a disruption of more than four hours of the business, say, then this will trigger leadership involved. So they should have a documented threshold when the
1: leadership will be involved with crisis or the, this would be called the business continuity. Um, now what kind of support do they offer the crisis management team and the, the CM team leader? Because I've been in situations and I can guarantee you have as well. You activate the crisis management team, you've got your crisis management team leader, there's roles and responsibilities, then executives or leadership get involved and they kind of take over. <laughs> so you know, if, if they're supposed to be offering support rather than taking over, what kind of support should they be offering uh, the crisis management team?
2: Okay, that's uh, really good. Um, it will be good if it's only uh, like limited between crisis management team and the leadership to find some of the expertise sometimes they want to take over. Uh, so it depends where the disruption or the crisis is happening. Um, it should be well documented. If you have a thorough plan in place, um, I will go back to the previous discussion, you have the proper embedding in place. Everybody knows the roles and responsibilities. They were trained and then also an exercise has been done when they were involved, so they are well aware of what's the role and the expectation from them. So I don't think this overlap can happen. So for every company, there is no standard for it. Ideally, the crisis management team should provide the advisory and the support. And the leader should take the decision. Maybe have some other company they have a different for that, but this should be well documented in the plan. Um, so this is uh, basically um, the best way to do it: to document everything and ensure everybody is trained in the roles of responsibility and take part of that training in uh, the exercise.
1: So we've got an activated crisis management team and we have the leadership. How do the two stay in sync so that the leadership knows what kind of support to offer the crisis management team? What needs to be in place there? Because otherwise they're two separate groups, the crisis management team and your leadership. And if one needs support from the leadership, there has to be some sort of bridge between them. So how do you keep them involved so that you're getting the support you need from leadership?
2: Okay, I don't think it should be seen as two separate teams, okay? It should be, both of them should be under one team, They're called incident management team, business support team, crisis management team. So the leadership will be part of this crisis management team. And then in the crisis management team, you will have your um, uh, crisis management leader and then this will be where the leadership presence. And then you have the crisis um, manager who will provide uh, actual support and managing the, the crisis on the floor, basically, and coordinating between various parties. And you'll have other members from other functions depending on the disruption or the disaster. So you have the, from the admin, HR, IT, or uh, there, if it's happening in a building, you have the manager and so on. So this is the way it should be. It shouldn't be seen as a separate team. So basically the leadership will be part of the crisis management team and they should be leading basically
1: this uh, Yeah, I, w- I wanted to clarify. I wasn't uh, <clears throat> suggesting that uh, leadership was not part of any kind of crisis management. Um, what I was suggesting is you have your crisis management team structure and off to the side is usually a, the leadership who are, uh, you know, a part of the crisis management, but aren't directly got their fingers into everything, telling everyone what to do. That's the crisis management team leader. You know, so I was wondering, how do you funnel up that information to this other team? But if, as you suggest, they're all a part of crisis management team mm-hmm. and they should be getting the same uh, status updates. I guess, uh, as a way to put absolutely. it, as everybody else, when you're having, I'll, I'll just say an hourly phone call, leadership is a part of that, right?
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, definitely. This is a very good point. So whenever you have any disruption, you should have a proper simultaneous uh, communication, because this is a crucial to ensure proper response. And especially if we are talking about that disruption happening in multiple locations. So you're in the headquarters managing this crisis, and then this is impacting site A and site B, and so on. So as a result, the uh, updates should happen simultaneously, and uh, also same key messages should be conveyed. Uh, so this is all will be coordinated through the crisis uh, manager, basically but all will happen through one person to ensure one channel of communication. And uh, it's happening through the leader, the the team leader, either the incident management team or the business uh, support team. So it should be channeled through one person and it should happen simultaneously. This is the best way. So during the COVID disruption, um, uh, this uh, crisis management team uh, were not able to meet face to face. Usually they meet in one room, Okay, in the office, and they uh, manage the crisis and they contact via phones all the impacted sites to coordinate with the incident management team on like that. Um, however, due to COVID, it was not possible. So all was done virtually, obviously. And um, uh, it was very effective. And to make sure that uh, uh, simultaneous communication is happening, so we used Microsoft Teams. So groups were created there where all the incident management team from various locations were part of the group. So to be honest, virtually it was easier to communicate simultaneous communication and keep consistent communication because everybody who should know about the updates were on the same group. Uh, so it was really helpful. Also, there was like creation of WhatsApp groups as well, all of them were on the same group. So this helped better communication. So uh, when uh, crisis managed virtually, it was easier to communicate with various parties than it's done, like with the standards setup up. And,
1: really and you mentioned if everybody is on the call, then everyone's getting the same message at the same time. I guess part of that bonus of having a leadership on those calls, whether they be online or, you know, Conference Bridge, is... As a status is being communicated, some of the support leadership can offer is, hey, that one, that that status you just got, we'll take that away. You know, the the CFO or the CTO or CIO, whatever, we'll take that away because I have to, to talk with the president of another financial institution. So I can take that away. And that even taking that action item takes some of the pressure off the CMT leader. Who you said you know uh, is working on the ground, you know can, the, this one single call can help um, create you know a list of action items, but also assign them right away. And by leadership taking some of these, it is taking things away. It's offering support to the rest of the crisis management team because it's something they don't have to focus on.
2: Absolutely, we felt uh, like it was uh, um, there was more collaboration long uh, among the various members, mm-hmm. uh, as well, uh, for a better delegation of responsibilities and visibility. Whereas for some situations, um, uh, like, um, in the normal setup when this is happening face to face and there is no uh, virtual, uh, support, um, you will find some subgroups. So maybe some, some group, group, they are doing some work, but the uh, actual team, the main crisis management team, they are not aware of what's happening in the bag. There is no clear visibility of what's happening. And this has led to um, multiple communication, different messages spread among our locations. Whereas having this in one platform, virtually, it helped better delegation of responsibilities
1: uh, as you mentioned. Uh, at the beginning of our talk here, uh, you mentioned You know, the training and awareness for people so they know their roles and responsibilities. I'm wondering, is there a different way of doing that with senior leadership? Because they may, you know, their schedules are so much more difficult to try and get into. So, do you have any suggestions on how to go about um, uh, training and giving the awareness to these people, you know, so that when something does happen? They understand their roles and responsibilities. They understand what the crisis management team leader is going to do and everybody else. Do you have any suggestions on how to get that group up to date and up so to now,
2: things? Yes, absolutely. So now with the virtual platform, they don't have any excuse. So before <laughs> it was the challenge to get them in the room and uh, to get them physically because yes, they engage with client meetings or they have any other priorities. So, virtually, I don't think it's going to be a challenge for So, they can even uh, log in and join through their mobile phones. So, thanks to COVID, I would say it changed our mindset because before all uh, exercising and stress testing of the plans were done face to face. And this is the way we knew how to do things. But with COVID, we had to change and adapt to the new normal. And actually, it went better than means- yesterday. Virtually, there's like to big control, I can see it should be a challenge.
1: We only have four minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts on uh, <clears throat> excuse me, senior leadership and uh, offering support during disruptions or um, business continuity in general?
2: Yeah, there's a few <coughs> points we would like to highlight. So, part of the leadership support is to ensure uh, coordination. Uh, and collaboration between uh, various like uh, department and functions during the crisis. But also, they should ensure um, uh, ensure a swift resumption uh, of operation, but uh, keep due care for the health and safety of the employees. Um, and uh, here, for example, during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, for the leadership, we need to look into the um, well-being of the employees, really the mental health. This should not be forgotten in the crisis, but everybody's focusing on the resuming operation, which would have business as usual while working from home. And there's a big element about employee and mental health. So here, they should take this in consideration. It should be a solution to, um, uh, for uh, the employees to seek in case they require any support uh, when it comes to mental health. Uh, so, for example, my company, um, we're providing a, uh, a confidential employee employee assistant program. And this is free of charge for the employees as well as uh, their families. So, if they're in case they go through any mental health issues related to work or fear of the pandemic or any financial problem, they can seek help uh, free of charge. So, this is really important. And last point I'd like to emphasize is about Transparency. Our leaders should be transparent, and they should ensure uh, continued communication with the employees and keep them updated. And uh, let's say we have cases happening, or um, uh, like the uh, crisis is escalating, or so they should be uh, transparent and honest, so they can build the trust with the employees. So they need to present the facts. To the employees and their communication and trying to provide. And this will play a good role in managing the yes. So, transparency is very important and taking care of uh, employees' health and, uh, and safety
1: during the disruption is another part. So, these two points are very important. And after a disaster, too, offering that same support and love. Oh, oh
2: absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> always, always. but. I wanted to highlight during disaster because most of the time, uh, crisis team leadership are very busy in managing the crisis and they're worried about sometimes the production, the and so on. So these two points is very important. We need to ensure it's done during disaster.
1: Well, great. On that note, we've come to the end of our show. Lynn, thank you very much for your time and expertise today about embedding business continuity and leadership support during disasters. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Alex. Thanks for this opportunity. Um, it's
1: nice to be with you on this program. Thank you. Great. You're welcome. And uh, I really appreciate uh, you know all your expertise and I hope uh, some of our listeners and viewers can take some uh, points away and hopefully build up their own programs.
2: Um, hopefully, um, actually it's uh, the right time now to take advantage um, of all the resources and the lessons learned from the pandemic and uh, in that business continue and build our capabilities in business
1: companies. That's right, we have an opportunity right now. <clears throat> so thank you once again and to everybody listening and watching, stay prepared everybody.
0: joining us for preparing for the unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific time and 1 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.